right, here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. Now, I was uh, listening back to last episode, and we never introduced ourselves, and we never talked, about- and we yeah. never talked about what what the the podcast is. This is Science in Between, and this is Ollie, and this is Scott. That's Scott, and welcome. we talk about stuff. We talk about mostly science teaching stuff, but not so- only. Sometimes technology. Sometimes, sometimes technology. Just some. Sometimes just other crazy stuff you know crazy crazy stuff we go down you know we go down rabbit holes and all sorts of yeah and poo poo stuff (laughs) we try not to though but it always happens there's always a poo poo and then we always end with joy yeah always so so that's good sometimes it's all joy the whole episode but not this episode's not all joy so if you're turning tuning in for all joy you found the wrong episode there will be (laughs) there will be joy but yeah but there you have to wait to the end for the joy um exactly yeah so there you go anticipation so hey so we're doing a series of episodes on the nrc framework and and if you haven't listened to episode 79 yet go back listen to 79 that auspicious yeah it's a prime prime episode to listen to Uh, it is a great episode to listen to thank you see what you did there i I like it i like what you did there Mm -hmm. um this is episode 80 and it's it's building off of that because we're going to spend a little bit of time um over the next you know few odd weeks I'll kind of take it apart, framing the framework, if, if we will. That's what I called last episode, but um, really unpacking what all of these things are, because these are some pretty foundational shifts in, in science education. This isn't new. It's coming new to Pennsylvania. Right. And mm. so and that's why you and I are so like steeped in it right now. But it's it's you know, it's happening across the country. And I think that having some folks uh, better understand what these things are, what they mean for this, the field of science education is pretty, pretty important. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Pennsylvania is actually the 45th state to either adopt or align with the next generation of science. They're, they're so, leaders. They're they are like right out there, cutting edge, the charts, cutting edge. Woo, Pennsylvania. Woo. Just waiting to waiting to see if this is a thing. You know, there's only seven <laughs> states that are <laughs> that are behind us. Uh, so. States and territories. Right? Oh. So, uh, no, I think. Yeah, that's true. States and territories. I, I'm including the whole nine. Yeah. So I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I don't know. That's a good question. Does Washington D.C. have their own science standards, or do they adopt I don't the know. standards of some uh, local? Uh, and the same with Puerto Rico. Fascinating. That will be another episode where we'll discuss the science standards in Washington D.C. and Puerto Rico. We'll get our producers on that. We'll get. Yeah. We'll get. We'll get some interviews. We'll interview the the. Uh, the Secretary of Education for Puerto Rico and and the and Washington DC, if if such people exist. Yeah, I'm sure they do. So I think that after talking about the big shifts last week, I think the the thing we need to talk about is like they this the, the this framework introduces like three concepts, three terms that are might be new to folks. You, you could um, call them you could call them dimensions. Dimensions, yeah. I think that would be a probably a way that the NRC three, talks three, about them. Could be. <laughs> Yes. the way they do and they introduce this idea of three-dimensional teaching in that like you can't teach science without doing all three of these things yeah and and each one of these is you know it's a it's a new dimension or a new way of, of framing science education so the one i think that's most common to folks is these disciplinary core ideas right that's that's like the content that's mm-hmm. the, and I think that they grouped them a little differently than they typically did. Well, I mean, they added a fifth one, right? They, they had, uh, there's the physical science, life science, earth science, or is there a fourth one? Sorry. 
they added <laughs> engineering, right? They added yes. engineering to that. They did. Um, engineering and science applications, I think is what it actually uh, is called. Yeah. And, and so what they're trying to do is to say, okay. Um, and I think they, uh, they're basing this off of, you know, the, um, some national engineering organization that was trying to develop their own engineering standards. And they said, you know what, I think we, we shouldn't be developing our own standards, but instead be, you know, framing them with science so that these are together as, as a content. So, you know, I think that the big shift though, in that is that, that we're not talking like miles and miles of content, right? There's a couple big framing questions for each of those areas that they are seeking to help students answer by the time they graduate from high school. So, you know, life science has their own questions. Physical science has their own questions. Earth science has their own. And these sort of present these, you know, way to frame the content and how we're teaching it um, to students. And I think that's the big difference, big difference there. Right. And, and to, to give a sense of that, right. So we're talking about four in physical science, four in life science, three in earth and space science, and two in engineering technology and applications of science. So when we say big ideas, we are talking big ideas like this. They re- and, and they're trying, I think, to make a point here in a very serious way that we have become um, obsessed with the minutiae in science and in many other disciplines. And, and so in many respects, this is a radical stance. I mean, the, the, the problem is that the devil's in the details and how that gets played out, even in the NGSS, I think gives people a false sense of what that looks like or could look like in schools. But fundamentally, these these 11 um, or 13 ideas with the engineering ones are are the big ideas that that students are supposed to be grappling with and learning about over their over their time from kindergarten through 12th grade. Um, so, you know, I mean it's, it's, it is a big shift, right? It isn't just a simply, oh, we're going to have a few less or a few fewer details. We're going to have a radically different way of thinking about what it means to learn the content of science. So we want to kind of put a pin in that because we're going to spend a whole episode talking about the DCIs, right? We're going to spend a whole. So the second one is these cross-cutting concepts. Mm -hmm. And I think this is the one that is probably the most revolutionary of them i mean i think you know they were kind of touched on in the science standards from like you know the 90s right they talked about these maybe in a little different way you know Mm -hmm. not so like developing their own you know dimension and saying here right i mean but they were these threads that went across all the content areas. And these cross-cutting themes are, I mean, I, I, I like them to describe them as lenses the way, you know, we can use to kind of see different, you know, science topic, different science um, concepts. And these are the things that go across all of them, like, like scale, right? That's a, that's a, uh, a cross-cutting concept mm-hmm. um, and how scale was used in science. So like scale on the really large scale like you know for earth science or scale on the really small scale for things like uh nuclear science and Mm -hmm. and so those that that's that scale is a tool or a lens that is used across but that's just one of them there are others too that's right and there's seven of them and yeah and i think about i mean i like the term tool or um gadget or you know some sort of their thinking tools right They're, they're little things that help students um when they're when they're engaged with with science ideas of 
having, you know, whatever you want to call it, a tool or a lens or something that helps them bring out um, that tool and see if it can be applied to this context. So like you say, there are things like scale and proportion quantity. There are seven of these, and we're going to do a deep dive into those too. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on them. Um, but yeah, they, they are meant to be applicable in all domains of science and engineering, right? They're, they are ways of, of thinking about problems in a general way. So, um, and, the, and then the last one, uh, which I think we, we sort of identify and recognize as what normally would have been, well, not normally, would previously been described as either inquiry or some kind of skills that students yeah. learn or processes, right, is characterized as science, uh, scientific and engineering practices. So those, and there are eight of those, and they're, the way that they're described on the top level is very familiar. Um, you know, it's things like, uh, you know, analyzing, interpreting data, um, engaging in argument from evidence, asking questions. Um, but they, the way they play out in terms of actual practice are quite different. So those in, in terms of the way, and we've talked a lot about practice absolutely, um, and not, not just the way, not just practice, but practice, practice. But well, I think um, that what's, what's novel. I think there's two things that are novel um, with, with how their, these uh, science and engineering practices are, are framed in, in the NRC document is one is I think the um, injection of engineering specifically, right. And mm -hmm. how they frame that differently from science and, you know, they, there's a couple of the science and, uh, science and engineering practices that are framed differently. Like, so it's like asking questions is the science side, but on the, on the flip side, the engineering is about defining the problem. Mm -hmm. So, cause science and engineering are going to approach those from different perspectives. Cause it's like, I mean, there is some questioning, but it's really about like, okay, what's the problem that we're trying to solve? where, you know, science is really, you know, foundationally, you know, about understanding something, you know, engineering is really about solving a problem or trying to figure out a design, some way to design a solution. Um, so I think that is, is in there that's really um, novel. Um, but I think the other part that's really novel is the, um, that it talks about mathematical and computational thinking, like straight up, right? Mm -hmm. And there's always been like this, you know, analyzing data piece that's always been there, which is, you know, kind of like embedded in um, mathematics, because, um, you know, usually the way we analyze data would be through some sort of mathematical process. But now they're saying, okay, we're going to have this whole thing dedicated to computational thinking. And mm -hmm. that to me is like real new territory that I think, and that computational thinking, and I've done some work around this um, at, at, at Millersville, and and that computational thinking is is a skill set that I think has really broad, you know, applications, not just the science, but the other content areas as well. And I, I would like to see a lot more people kind of see that as as you know, claiming that as as something they can talk about too. Certainly in literacy, certainly in in, in mathematics, you know, lots of areas. Yeah, right. And I agree with all that. And then I, I would say the other thing that I think is somewhat new is the emphasis on models. So they do have developing and using right. models and calling that out explicitly. And that's related to the computational thinking. And I think it is it is a recognition of the fact that um, both that science is essentially a modeling domain, like we when we think about what we think about as laws or or scientific facts, many of them are just models of, of how things work. But some of but increasingly science has become a domain where models are are the foundation of how the work gets done. So I'll 
talk specifically about geosciences because that's where I do a lot of thinking lately is, you know, geosciences is almost entirely based in, in computational, mostly computational models, right? So they use data to produce a model and then they use the model to better understand the system that they're modeling and, and draw data from that that helps them understand how to investigate the, the real phenomenon better. So this idea of models uh, as a core way of thinking and going beyond just explanations, which is part of still part of the the practices, but this idea of modeling is a big shift too in thinking about what science and science teaching look like. So, but but that's today. Today we're going to talk about practice. We're going to talk right. about these these eight uh, science and engineering practices, and and both why they're different as a group, and then individually why they're worth thinking about. So we've done it. We've sort of touched on that, but I think we're going to dig in a little more. So so where would you like to start, Doctor? Well, I don't know. I mean, I there's part of me that you know we could just go down them in the order that the we NRC could do that. But I mean, the, the the one challenge I have with that is that if we do that, then I, I worry that um, we fall into the trap of the scientific method, right? Yeah. That, that, that this is some sort of linear thing that, you know, you do one, then you do two, then you do three. And, yes. you know, and that is one of the um, misconceptions that I think the, the NRC document like goes straight up. Like mm-hmm. they try, they address it and they say, you know, this is, these aren't linear. They're just, different practices that need to be taught and developed and that you can't teach science without incorporating some of these or all of these at some point. Right. Yeah. And so that's, that comes back to that three, three D teaching is that, you know, as you're teaching, uh, you know, a disciplinary core idea, are you leveraging a cross cutting concept and are you bringing in some sort of, you know, science and engineering practice? Cause yeah. that's the, the way that we should be teaching science. Right. Exactly. And, and I think, you know, it, like all of these things that, and we've talked about this a lot on the show, the challenge of creating a taxonomy or some sort of organizational scheme for a domain is then people see that as, as true, right. As correct. And, and not, not maybe not in the traditional sense of, but, but in the sense of like, oh, now I know what, what the steps are. And so I'll just follow the steps. And I think, you know, to your point, one of the one of the reasons these practices exist is they came out of the social studies of science, like rich investigations of how scientists actually practice. So starting with people like Bruno Latour, um, who actually went into scientists labs and, and watched as an anthropologist what they actually do and tried to characterize that. And that was part of that shift away from, the, you know, what what science education talks about as the practice turn. Right. Um, and lots of fields have had this turn. But away from thinking about it as skills or as some sort of, you know, um, knowing about how, like knowing a process into this idea of practice. And one of the complications of that is that, as you say, all these things are interwoven. So it's very difficult to say, okay, I'm only doing this one thing now. Like right now, all I'm doing is is engaging in argument from evidence. It's like, well, usually not. Usually you're doing that. And simultaneously, you might be using mathematics and computational thinking. And you might also be, you know, developing or using a model, all of those things simultaneously. So so to say like, okay, you know, today, all we're going to do is X. um, I mean, I think a better way to think about that, especially for science teaching, is that at certain points in certain parts of the arc of your curriculum, you are going to emphasize, and by that I mean call out to the students in some more explicit way, 
one of the practices. So you might say today, one of the things we're really going to focus on is thinking about science as a field where there is developing and using models. So we're going to talk about models explicitly in class, right? So they're going to be doing something and we're going to talk about this as a model. We're going to talk about science as a modeling field and what that means and what a model is and do all that, even though what they might be doing is collecting data or doing something else simultaneously with this model building. Um, so the idea is really how does a teacher foreground these practices in certain places so that kids become more aware that these practices exist, but don't see them as, as like, a, 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 as you said, a linear process or, or just a stepwise procedure for doing science. Yeah, and I think the, the other thing that is sort of important with that is that, you know, the one thing we always worry about is that whenever anything like this comes out is that, you know, a, a teacher looks at it and says, you know, I already do that. I already do this. Sure. I already. And, and I think that what you talk about there is the important part is, you know, really framing it and really putting out, Hey, we're going to do this. And this is why we use this and really talking about it. Cause like, I think, you know, how many people, um, you know, look at like the models of the atom and think the atom is actually like that. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, like, okay. It's like, you know, it's, it's kind of like, like a, a planet ball in the center with a bunch right. of balls spinning around it. Yeah. Right. And and it's a model to understand how the atom is, right? But it's not really the way the atom is. And, yeah. and it's, it's much more cloudy than, and I mean that both, you know, yeah. metaphorically and scientifically, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but, the, uh, but the model itself, when, when they see the thing as the model, right? When it's like, the model is a way to understand it. Mm-hmm. And if we don't intentionally talk about that, okay, we use these models, we develop these models as a way, as tools to understand things, as ways mm-hmm. to understand, um, as practices to help us develop understanding, then it's, it's lost. It becomes, the, it becomes the thing rather than a way to understand the thing. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that, and that, is, a, that is a classic difficulty that we have when talking with science teachers about this kind of, of learning and this kind of teaching, right? Is that they, it's very difficult, especially initially to separate the normative explanation from the phenomenon, like what you've just described, right? Thinking of like the periodic table as a phenomenon, rather than understanding the periodic table is just a categorization of, of a bunch of empirical evidence that we have into an explanation of how things are related to each other. It's not a phenomenon. It's a human created thing to try and explain a whole bunch of phenomena It's super powerful and useful, but that doesn't make it true. It just makes it useful and powerful. So I think that that whole idea of like, how do you separate the, the thing from the, the, you know, the purpose of having that thing. I want to say the nerdiest thing that I may have may yes. ever say on this. I episode. Uh, I love the periodic table. I love it. I love it. I mean, really when I, when I, when I understood it, you know, it, way back in maybe my first chemistry class and my second chemistry class, when I really understood what it was and I would just go, okay, are you taking down the chemistry? I mean, taking down a periodic table when we have an exam and the teacher's like, no, I'm like, all right, man, you do that. Cause it's like bring every, it. all right, bring it. Cause everything's up there. Right. Answer I mean, it's key. like, it's like the answer key to everything and almost, almost everything in chemistry, at least the, yeah. the chemistry classes I took. Right. And yeah. um, I was like, wow, it is so awesome. It is the best thing ever. But again, it's not like how we find things in nature. It's not like we're going to find, but it's a way to help understand it, you know, and it's a really powerful model. It's a really powerful way of organizing things, but it's not the thing, you know? Yeah. 
Right. And I think so. So to, to skip to another practice, let's skip to the top and talk about asking questions and defining problems right. a little bit. I mean, I think that, like one of the, the things to understand about asking questions and, and defining problems is the way that we typically teach science, those the, the questions are a priori, which is to say we come up with the question first before yeah. we start trying to think about what it is we're, we're talking about. And that really, frankly, is a bananas way to do it. It doesn't make any sense. It's not the way that science actually works. Science much more often, if not exclusively, works from data that is existing and tries to understand or phenomenon that are existing, that which are in, in a form of data, and then try to understand that by asking questions about it, right? It's not that we ask a question um, just out of the blue, like we, we, and, and there is a back and forth, right? So when you develop a model about something, that opens opportunities for you to ask new questions. And then those questions lead you to new models and new data and new development. And, and that process is constantly iterative. And those questions are, are dynamic and responsive and, and change as the data comes in, right? You know, and again, I, you know, we call this out all the time, but this goes back to this, you know, the, the trouble that we've had with the, with COVID and, and the science happening in real time is people don't understand that back and forth between, well, we're asking new questions right. and therefore the answers are going to change. That doesn't mean that our old questions were bad. It's just that those old questions weren't informed by this new data that we have. So asking questions, um, you know, really is part of a whole dynamic process. As Elmo would say, asking questions is a really good way to figure things out. You know? Wow. Yeah. I have nothing to say to that. Elmo. Say, you know, Elmo. Elmo. Elmo and Einstein, we mix them up all the time. Yeah. They have, they have a similar it, look about them. Like, interchangeable. I think one of the things I like the most about this, and I just kind of realized this, I guess it was, I, I maybe have realized it before, but it's a really good thing to point out here is that hypothesis theory and fact are not used in any one of these. You know, right. and I think that's that's intentional, right? I think that was sure. it has to be intentional, in that you know, because the scientific method would have you know always included hypothesis, right? Yeah, and hypothesis. you got to, and they 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 are really talking about it in such a different way, um, and I think that's that's absolutely intentional for sure. Yeah, I agree, and I agree, and that's uh, I agree. That's why things like model now are in there, mm-hmm. or like you were saying, computational thinking. Like those are explicitly attempts to get away from, and for that matter, engaging an argument from evidence. Like it used to be in the, in the old scientific method, that would have been the conclusion, right? Right. And and they don't use conclusion either. They don't. I mean, really, the language of the scientific method is almost completely gone from here. I mean, you have to yeah. ask questions because that's 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 part of what science is it's endemic to it but but almost everything else they've changed the language right they've, right because the conclusion made... would assume that we reach to an end that's right? right that's a, and that and what they're saying is hey look this is all iterative that we're always working because i think that's the danger right is that when we teach the scientific method is having a defined beginning and defined end that we're teaching sciences that way that there yes. is a when we reach an understanding that we're done and it's like well no everything is tentative you know, that's the whole part about science is that, you know, it's all tentative and we're going to, you know, wait till we get new tools, get, wait till we get more information, and then we're going to reexamine things. And, and, and that, I think, is the, the great thing that's communicated in this, um, you know, is that there is no defined beginning, no defined end, no talk of theories and facts and all that jazz. It's, it's framed completely differently. And, and that is powerful stuff. 
Yeah. And I think one of the big differences here that we can also call out is um, friend of the show. I'm going to name a new friend of the show right now. It's going to happen. Uh, okay. I'm writing it down. Okay, I'm going to write it down. Ready? I am. R- Rick Duschel, friend of the show. Uh, Rick Duschel. We could probably get him on here. We probably uh, he, could get could get him yeah. on here. Yeah. But you know um, what? You and I would say nothing. We would just. Well, it would just come on yeah. now. If we, we want just, him on the show, you can't say stuff like that. I'm not saying anything. Like he has so much stuff to say. Oh, okay. I'm just like like that's what I'm saying. I'm not like oh, okay. poo pooing him. You're not poo pooing him. No, be, no, bad. I'm so, just saying he has he's got a lot to say because yeah. the guy is he on the like was he yeah, on the he was on the NRC that panel that that wrote the NGSS. I don't think he was on that. He didn't write the. I don't think he was on the framework writing, but he was definitely part of the NGSS. I but think we reason, need to say who this guy is. If we're gonna yeah, just yeah. like throw his name so, out there, right? So Rick Duschel is a um, is a I mean preeminent science education scholar. Absolutely, used to be at Penn State University here with me um, for many years, and that was a great pleasure to have him as a colleague. He's now at Southern Methodist University. Um, running a, a an engineering center there and and starting a school in the in the local school district like a stem focused school um and you know he's he has you know former president of our national organization right. uh, research organization he's former editor of our premier journal in the field like they like we could spend the whole show talking about his accolades and his his things that he's contributed but um and, and he was at Pitt whenever I was so I did my right. master's degree um at Pitt and I had him in, in class then. And so it was it was great to interact with him at uh in my master's program at the beginning part of my teaching career. And then when I moved to Penn State, right before he became the endowed chair, he was doing some work um with some folks there. And then he became the endowed chair there. Yeah. Um yeah. So, you know, many intersections between Rick Duschel, we just right. two, two people I did not expect it. Bruno Latour in this episode or Rick Duschel. Those yeah. are two, you know, friend of the show, Bruno Latour, right. Friend, <laughs> rest his soul. Um, so probably not going to get him on the show. <laughs> no, no, actually, no, he's, he might still be alive. He just wrote a book I, not that long ago. So we sh- you, you can do a search on that while, I'm, while I tell you why I brought Rick Duschel into the conversation. Sure. So the reason I brought Rick in is because he talks about this idea of final form science. And I think that's one of the big distinctions that they're trying to make. One of the problems with the old scientific method, it was really concerned with what Rick talks about as final form science, which is the way that science is reported out when you write a journal article. So when you get to the end of the process and you have to say something to the community about what you did, well, you clean up all the messiness of the process that you went through when you were doing the science into this very structured thing where you say, well, this was our hypothesis or our research question. This was the data we collected. This is how we analyzed it. These were the results we found. And these are the things that we think are the implications for the field and contributions to the field, right? But that is very specific to a certain genre, which is to say journal articles. Um, And that is not the way science actually happens. And again, to reinvoke Bruno Latour, this idea of like, it's very messy, right? There And there's there's other people you can you can read about this and we won't name name too many names here. Um, but there, there are a lot of folks who've really dug into this idea of what is science actually doing in a process. Um, Tim Koshman has a beautiful article about creating the creation essentially of a scientific idea. Um, and, and the, you know, listening to two scientists talk through this process, but, but this idea that 
science is a dynamic and intertwined set of practices that are, that are very hard to call apart when you actually are watching practice. And that's what science classroom should be like too. It shouldn't be like today we're doing questioning and we're going to develop questions and then we're going to make a hypothesis. And then like, cause that's not how it works. And if we teach it that way, then we've given kids a real, we've done them a real disservice when they go out into the world and have to have to understand how science actually operates. Uh, I'm happy to report that Bruno Latour is in fact alive. Nice. He's got to be in his eighties uh, at least though, right? 74 living oh, in, in France. Of uh, course he is. Yeah. The French don't leave France, man. They're no, right. no. Would you? Probably not. But uh, if I lived in France now, it would be very rough on me because I can say, you know, baguette and baguette. And I can say. It gets yourself a baguette at the <laughs> yeah. boulangerie. Boulanger. Oh, look at you. That's Boulanger. a bakery. Yeah. <laughs> I could go to the bistro. Uh, you could at the cafe. <laughs> at the cafe. Yeah. Really, all I'd be doing in France is eating if I was living there, probably. Yeah. So, which is cool. Well, drinking. I mean, yeah. they, have, they have some good wine occasionally, once in a while. Yeah. All right. So let's come back to the. You, you just went down the rabbit hole. Wait, I went down. Wait, you I did. Went down, it, it, no. Yeah. No, I think no, they you, no, you, you. No, no. I think it was you. I think. All right, we'll, we'll go back and listen. We'll go back and listen, see. Uh, so I think we've gone through most of these. I think the one that maybe needs a little bit more attention is the, the idea. We mentioned the computational thinking, but there's, I mean, in the next generation science standards, there's a lot of uh, computational thinking uh, content. There's like, yeah. it's unpacked in really specific ways. And I think that's, and then if you go over to um, the computer science standards, that computational thinking is even more unpacked. So there's a lot of ways that I think that we could spend, I mean, maybe that's a thing we could talk about in an episode coming up because I don't want to make yeah. this the computational thinking episode, but there's some stuff in there that um, really can help students, you know, not only understand the science applications and also engineering applications, but also see that stuff, have a better understanding of what that means in, in the world around them. Um, and yeah. how, how, because I think like developing an algorithm is, or having like some sort of algorithmic thinking, you know, is, is kind of like developing a model, but not really, right? Well, I think it is. It's just a very specific kind of model, right? right. It's a computational right. model. So, um, but that's not the only uses of computational thinking. And and yeah, yeah. I think I think we could do a deep dive on that. I mean, the, the other one that I would call out on this list that I don't think we've emphasized as much as we could, or I don't think we've even mentioned it, is planning and carrying out investigations. Yeah. And I think you know the big difference here is to differentiate between like doing labs. Labs are not investigations. Labs, as they are treated in, in public schools, are confirmatory processes that have been established by the teacher that, that are procedural. The students just march through. They're not investigating anything. They're just collecting data that been, they've been told to collect. They've been told to analyze it in a specific way. And then they write up a conclusion in a very sort of structured, you know, genre-specific way of writing up. It's not, it's not an investigation. And it certainly doesn't involve planning, right? No. So I think... The reason a, planning is it's a there. Cookbook. Yeah. It's a cook, yeah. And the reason planning, that word planning is there is because that, again, we, we want to talk about all of these practices that are things that kids do, right? right? So the kids in your class are planning and carrying out investigations. It is not you saying, here's an investigation we're going to do today. Here's the thing I'm going to show you. And then you're going to go investigate it. And it's not even just like, 
the sort of um, halfway version of that, which is like, here's the thing, go figure out an investigation that you want to do of this. And then everybody does their own little investigation. That's not it either, because that's not driving towards something, right? That's just me being curious. Oh, I like the classic one of this is, is there the one that, teachers do with plants. Okay. We want to, we want to figure out what plants need to grow. So everybody think up a different experiment to do with plants. So I'm going to put my plants, one of my plants in a dark closet and one of my plants on a bright windowsill, and I'm going to see if they grow differently. And, and I'm going to put, you know, water this plant every day. And I'm going to water this plant every third day. And I'm going to see like, does it make a difference in the way the plants grow? And that, you know, that feels like it's kids planning an investigation, but they're not really trying to investigate anything in a, in a big sense. This is just like, it's like trial and error. Um, and that's not really what investigations are. They have a purpose. They're trying to understand some phenomenon. And the way that is framed is much more just like, well, think up some variables that you can think might make a difference in the way that plants grow and then just set up an experiment about it. So um, so this is, there's a lot of nuance built into this planning and carrying out investigations that I think is important and, and meaningful in the way that the NRC structured it. I, I think there are, there are two others that deserve a little bit of attention is the one is this constructing explanations yeah. from a science perspective and designing solutions from an engineering perspective. I think that in itself is something that we want to get students to, to be able to engage with. But I think the, the one that I think most people just kind of brushed by because they just assume people are doing it is the last one on the list is obtaining and evaluating and communicating information. Mm-hmm. So yep. like, I think, so this has come up in a bunch of things I've been reading lately. I think it's that a lot of these, the books I've been reading have come out in the, I don't know when you call it the, the information explosion or the misinformation explosion yeah. that's happened in the last like four or five years. And that, you know, it's really positioning that what we should be doing as teachers is developing critical thinking, you know, in our students and, and helping them engage in evaluating the information that they have. And so while that might be, you know, I mean, it's, it's not as novel as some of these other things. It's so important now Mm -hmm. for us to get students to be able to, you know, find and obtain information, not only by collecting it in a, in a classroom setting, but also being able to, you know, credibly, you know, evaluate information that they obtain outside of the classroom and saying, okay, is this, is this information that is credible? Is this something from a credible source? Mm -hmm. Is this something that we can use or something that can inform our explanations? Because if it's not, then we have to, you know, set it aside. And, and I think that the more that we do that, um, the more that we get kids engaged in that process, the better they are, not only as scientists, but also as citizens. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is, uh, this is the other thing that is, um, important and embedded, I think, on some deep level in this number eight, um, obtaining and evaluating communicating information is that science should have a purpose. And often that purpose is social, right? So there should be, you know, one of the things that NRC emphasizes is that these should draw on phenomenon and local issues that kids can grapple with, right? And that doesn't mean your whole curriculum has to be that way, but you do need to think about like, how how are we making this relevant to the lives of the kids and how can we help them think about it? And one of the ways that that happens is by students 
bringing in information from their local communities about things that are happening and that are uh, uh, can be scientifically investigated and also communicating back to them um, in authentic and meaningful ways. So communicating to the, to the community as an authentic audience about the kind of work that they're doing. And, you know, this is very hard and I'm not saying it can be done all the time, but, you know, there's people like, you know, another friend of the show, we're really doing call outs today, but um <laughs> April Lumen, whose sure. work is extraordinary and has to do very much with engagement with community and, and identifying problems in the community, working with the community and the students to develop ways to investigate that stuff, and then reporting back and saying, here's what we found about this problem and, and suggestions that we can make as as students. And that's incredibly powerful if you can manage to get that as part of your curriculum. I, I do understand that that's difficult and maybe can't be for everything. But even if you're only doing that once a year with kids, it's it's pretty remarkable way to get them engaged in understanding science and its value at, to the citizenry, to the community, to some broader audience rather than just a bunch of facts they have to learn. Of the people we mentioned today, I think April actually may be a friend of the show. She may actually listen. Could be. Like it's possible. It's possible. I think it's um if the likelihood if she does, is, if is she, greater than Bruno Latour. <laughs> yes. It, it is entirely the case that Bruno Latour does not listen to this show. No. I think we no. have zero downloads in France. So unless he's pirating it from some other place. Um, yeah, but no, it's possible. And if April is listening, April, you should reach out to us and then we will have you on the show and then you will truly be a friend of the show. And, and, uh, I mean, you're truly a friend of the show anyway, but yeah, okay. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So the, the, just a, as a way of reviewing, here are the eight that we've talked about sort of like in a, you know, happenstance, you know, way is one, it's about the first one's about asking questions and defining problems. The second one's about developing and using models. The third one is planning and carrying out investigations. Then it's analyzing and interpreting data, using mathematics and computational thinking, constructing explanations and designing solutions, engaging in argument for, from evidence, and lastly, obtaining, evaluating, and communicating information. So those are the science and engineering practices outlined in the NRC. And we talked about them the way that you should talk about them, which is in a big gobbledygook mess of bouncing back and forth between one and another and talking about why they're important. Because that's I, I feel good about that. About. Me I too. feel good about that. Yeah. That's how it should be. Yeah. Because that's how it is. Yeah. And that, that brings me joy. But that's yes, not my it joy. Does. No, it's not. But but the but the gobbledygook mess is definitely in our wheelhouse. Like that we're that's solidly uh something that we do well. Yeah. That's yeah. that's something we do here. Yes. Gobbledygook. We we lean into the gobbledygook mess. We do. Way yeah. in. All right. Uh, so am I going first this week for Joyce? Yeah, why don't you go? Uh, why don't uh, I go? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Have a joy? I have a joy. Um so my joy this this week is a movie that I watched with my family over the weekend, and it is one that we've been waiting to see, and it finally became available to us on HBO Max, so we watched it, which is Free Guy, um, oh, and, nice. and I am I am absolutely a stand for for Ryan Reynolds. I I would watch that guy like butter toast. He's amazing. Um, I love the fact that he bought a football club. Uh, with Rob McElhaney in Wales. And I follow that and think that's amazing. I think he's funny in everything he does. I think he 
deserves to have been in lots of other things and not just not just Deadpool in the Marvel universe. I think he could have made a great. We could go down that whole rabbit hole of sure. where I think Ryan Reynolds should be. But Free Guy, for for those of you who don't know this film, um, basically Ryan Reynolds is a uh, an AI character in a video game. And he meets a player character uh, and basically falls in love with her. Um, and the, the um, you know, it's funny. It's goofy, as you would expect from Ryan Reynolds, but it's hearty, heartfelt, which is what you would also expect from him. Um, and Jody, oh, my gosh, what's Jody's last name? Um, I'll think of it that, that the woman that stars as his sort of love interest in the film is fantastic. She's from killing Eve. She's the sort of Comer. Comer. That's it. Thank you. Jody Comer. She's fantastic as this sort of badass um, assassin woman in the game who actually is, is one of the computer programmers who wrote um, the sort of core code. And uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's you know it's not the greatest movie you'll ever see, but it's it's but, fun but it's, and goofy. It is entertaining. It, it is fun. It's, it's super it entertaining, and it's you know it's got I gotta say it's got a little bit of that Ted Lasso thing where it you know yeah. there's there's not a lot of bad people. Like yeah. the closest thing you've got in the movie to a bad person is Taika Waititi, and he is hilarious as like yeah. the 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 megalomaniac um, game design guy. Um, so, and he's very Taiko Watiti in this. So yeah, I, I highly recommend it. It's, you know, again, it's not going to win Academy Awards, but it was, it was super fun to watch. It was a great movie. I totally recommend it. And it's, it's one of those ones where it was on, um, I rented it through prime and I think for yeah. like $3 or something and that was money well spent. It was a, yeah, it's, it's great. It's a great movie. Um, but again, it's like, a, it's just a feel good movie. You know, there's, you know, yes. and, nothing. To, we, yeah. We need more of those, you know? Yeah. We so um, mine is, you know, way in the Ollie wheelhouse. Um, I, since there's the, the new Batman movie coming out, you know, or when this episode the drops, Batman. It, it, the Batman. So it's a, it's a reboot with, uh, with Robert Pattinson um, coming uh, as Batman and starring as Batman. So this is a brand new venture. And so what I've been doing is kind of catching up on some, some newer Batman, you know, graphic novels have come out. And one that I read recently uh, is called Batman Hush. Mm. And uh, it's, it's a pretty long graphic novel that deserves some attention. And I say that because um, it is involves a lot of characters and almost um a few characters that are kind of re-envisioned. I'll leave it at that because I don't want to give away the ending. I don't want to give away anything about it, but definitely something to check out. And you bought this as a, like a, 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 how'd you buy it? Single issues, you you got it digitally? How'd you do? I got it at the library. I got it digitally because I think it should be available at the library. It's actually, if you're interested um, there's a movie version of it on HBO Max right now because I was like, oh, I wonder if they made this into a movie because I think the graphic novel itself came out maybe about four or five years ago. And then um, they made a movie out of it in 2019. And so it's an animated movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that w- why it piqued my interest is because you know I've seen a lot of the previews for the new m- movie mm-hmm. and there's a masked character in there. And the masked character... Um, when I saw, I was looking through Hoopla 
and I saw the, you know, um, the Batman Hush cover. Mm-hmm. And it also had a masked guy. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I wonder if this might be the source material. I don't know if it's the source material because they're being really you know, quiet about, I was going to say hush, hush about it, but that, but it would be, but I, I don't know if it's the source material, uh, but I do know um, Catwoman is in the new Batman movie. Mm-hmm. I do know that um, some of the characters that are going to be in the new one also are in this graphic novel. If it is the source material then, or somehow related to the source material for um, the new movie, then I think it's going to be pretty brilliant. Um, and it's getting pretty good reviews, uh, at least the things I've seen so far. So Batman Hush, graphic novel, check it out. It's on Hoopla and probably available at your uh, library as well. So Yeah, well, it's it's got a, um, a an impressive uh, team who wrote it. I'm just looking it up now. And Jim Lee is the penciler mm-hmm. and Jeff Loeb. I don't, I'm not, I, I always yeah. mispronounce his name, but uh but he's he wrote it, so that's uh, those are two very heavy hitters in the comics world. So that's cool. Well, I mean, the cool thing about it is, I think I think it goes over like maybe I don't know eight to ten chapters, and you don't really know who the villain is until all the way at the end. And there are lots of times, and the graphic novel series like digs in deep like it talks about like if you're a batman fan like death of the family comes into this and which i think is just like one of those things that you know if you're a somewhat a batman fan fan you know about death in the family and and so that plays a role which at one point you're just like is that this is that what's going on here and you know yeah Yeah. it's great all right well i'll put it on my list i'll find it somehow yeah hoopla it's on hoopla it's on Hoopla. Look at that. Yeah. yeah. Log in with your library card. Just Hoopla. go get it. Yeah. Download it. Yeah. So I think that's some joyful endings for today's uh, conversation of science and engineering practice. Practice. Yeah, I think yeah. that listeners are going to grow tired of us hearing, <laughs> hearing us say it's, that. It's too late. Like now it's a yeah. bit and now it's going to stay. But I will say when we say that we're, we're doing the Ted Lasso version, not the Alan Iverson version, just to be clear. Sure. Because I think yeah. it's a little bit, you know, you're talking about practice. Yeah, because be- Ted Lasso takes it and turns it and, and right. turns it in the yeah. direction that we like. Sure. I like, we like. I like it too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, hey, thanks for being here. Yeah. Thanks for yeah. being here. This has and been uh, Science in Between. I'll see you next time. Bye now. <laughs>